Good day, good people. Welcome to Daily Border Crossings. I'm your host, C.S. Fletcher, a.k.a. Samantha. And on today's episode, two really thoughtful, wise educators share what it's like being Asian in America. We get a little into the era of COVID and Black Lives Matter, but mostly just life in general today and what it was like growing up. For Cindy, who identifies as Chinese-American, hear about some traumatic childhood experiences caused by well-meaning, well-intentioned people that shaped who she is today. Ariana is Indonesian, Okinawan, and Muslim, and people constantly ignore, dismiss, or seemingly erase her Asian heritage. Hear the message she has to all immigrants to this country on their relation to the civil rights movement. Also, wait till you hear about Cindy's son's discovery of being Asian and Ariana's son's thoughts on skin color. Plus, Ariana and Cindy share lessons and truths they have to teach their children. These awesome ladies have opinions about the model minority myth. They've also got some strong messages of advice for teachers, colleagues, parents, and peers out there as well as tools for fellow Asian Americans and others for surviving daily border crossing moments. Stay tuned. Okay, so good day. Welcome into Daily Border Crossings. We have two guests that I am excited to talk to. I'm so glad to have on the show with me today. Ariana Hussan, who identifies as a Muslim, Indonesian, Okinawan, Asian American. She's a teacher librarian at a school in the Minneapolis suburbs. She's been a librarian for 10 years and has worked in public libraries as a children's librarian and in schools for four years. Her husband, I'll let you tell tell a little bit about your husband, um, Ariana, who's Pakistani-American, and you guys have one child together. Also, I see that you're a co-founder of a blog that I want you to talk about and some other things that I, that I want you to share. Also with us is Cindy Chu, who identifies as Asian-American or Chinese-American. Cindy lives with her husband, who is Filipino-American, and they have a 10-year-old son. Cindy has been a, um, an educator, um, reading specialist for over 15 years. She's taught in Hong Kong, Beijing, Philadelphia, and Arlington. Okay, so thank you both for being on the show. Ariana, I'll start with you. Tell me a little bit more about um, your family, right? Your husband, your son. How old is your son? Uh, my son is five. Okay. And uh, my husband and I, both of us were born in the United States. And he was born in like upstate New York and his family moved all over. But they are uh, second generation and Pakistani American. Their their family was born, their, like the grandparents were born in um, Northern India, and they uh, they crossed over during the partition of India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my my in laws were born in Pakistan, and um, and they came to the United States in the seventies, sometime I think. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's that's their story. And what about so, you and your family? Oh, so my family is a little bit different. Um, so my, while my my father-in-law was in academia, um, he was a professor. My my parents um, are have a different story. Like, and both of them are involved in like the military industrial complex. My mother um, is, and my grandmother are Okinawan. 
um, and uh, they speak Japanese. They speak. Uh, my grandma speaks Okinawan, I think, but more my my mom. I mean, even though she knows it, she more will default to Japanese. Okay. Um, but she, my grandmother, married an American GI after her after her first marriage, um, and they lived there for a while, and then they moved. Um, okay. I think my mom was college, and they moved to United States. Um, my father, um, he's uh, Indonesian, and at the time uh, when they immigrated, so everybody immigrated around the same time in the okay. um, late 60s and the 70s, um, and my uncle at the time was a law professor in Jakarta, and he um, he was followed around by a white man for a couple weeks, and he wondered why he was why he was being tailed. And one day he just turned around. He's like, why are you following me? You know, you're not exactly inconspicuous. And they said, basically, <laughs> you know, they were afraid of Indonesia falling to the communists. So they really wanted him to teach uh, Indonesian to, um, you know, Americans in the military. So they went to Monterey to the Defense Language Institute. Um, and he brought his family. So my and my father was part of that. And um, then my parents met. And that's where I came from. All right. All right, Cindy, tell me a little bit about your um, family. So my parents um, are from Hong Kong, um, and they were actually in grade school together, which I think is a cute story. They Aww. met there, um, just classmates. And then things happened, and my mom's family moved to Canada in, when she was a teenager, and my dad's family moved to um, Philadelphia, the United States. And so... So they, you know, they kind of lost touch, but then somehow reconnected and um, got married. And, and yeah, so we, we then moved from Philadelphia to a small town in central PA. And that's where I experienced um, most of my childhood. Um, okay. I haven't been back for over 20 years. Um, wow. Do you, is there any family left there? Yeah, I have, I have um, a cousin and um, my aunt and uncle are still there and, and we see them, I mean, well, not really now because of the pandemic, but we, we do um, see them for family um, holidays and stuff like that. Okay. That just struck me. Is there, is there a reason, do you think, that you haven't been back? Yeah, I, I've been grappling with this a lot and I don't mean to like kind of go straight in there, but I think kind of what some of the experiences I've had... Um, being, you know, one of the only Chinese American um, kids in school has really affected me. And I'm, I'm not ready to go mm -hmm. back. I don't know when I'll be ready to go back. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would have to have my brother and sister with me. Yeah. I, I'm the oldest in my family. And we were all born here. Um, although English was not my first language because mm -hmm. my grandmother helped raise us and, and she only speaks Chinese. Um, Cantonese is a dialect. Uh, while my parents were working. So when I went to school, I really did experience the whole not understanding the language, not understanding the culture, trying to assimilate. Mm, okay. All right. Yes, we did. Thank you for where this is a perfect segue to the whole um, premise behind daily border crossings. It's the goal and, and hope for this show is to shed light on instances where people don't feel like they can be comfortable bringing their full selves to a space and 
for people to to understand that there are people who are comfortable each day, but there are people who aren't, and to you know get that and know that and and maybe do something different. And so, as before, before we do that, I, I do want to know, let you both talk a little bit about what you are both doing now. I know you said you devour books <laughs> and occasionally write. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you are, you're a reading specialist. So I guess that explains some of the love for books. Yeah, I, I found throughout growing up, I, I found um, a lot of salvation in reading. Um, at the time, there were not many books that reflected um, my life. You know, I, I think I read like Babysitter's Club and yeah. Sweet Valley High. I mean, so again, it was, it, but, but the books I love because I was able to just like shut out the rest of the world and whatever was going on. So I continue to read now and I love um, how there's more and more diverse voices in literature. Yeah. So yeah, I read a lot and, and I occasionally blog mostly about teaching, but sometimes about my family as well. Okay. Ariana. Same. It's a, that's a perfect segue also, because you are a librarian. <laughs> and you love yeah. books and you said I you do. blog. So can you share about Um So yes, I'm a librarian. Um, and, you know, I, I love books. I've been on multiple reading committees, just as part of the American Library Association and the Association of Library uh, for Library Service to Children. You know, I've been involved in, in different committees. So I was on a notable books committee. I've been on the Stonewall Book Award. Um, for um, excellence in uh, depicting the experience of LGBTQIA plus, uh, I guess, yeah. characters. And uh, I was on, most recently, I'm still serving on Rise, a feminist book list. So I've been on a, a quite, a, quite a few. Also, I'm a co-founder of a blog called Hijabi Librarians. Um, yeah, is, I saw that. Yeah. That sounded really cool. Say, what is it called again? So it's uh, Hijabi Librarians, okay. and it's it's a collective of. We right now we are only four Muslim Muslim American uh, librarians, and we talk about um, representation. So either author representation or character representation of Muslims in children's and young adult literature. So that's our focus. Um, it's you know it's it's not a general blog site. I would say it's not you know because there are definitely like Muslim bloggers who are looking at the Islamic content. Is this is this appropriate for? my Islamic school or Islamic curriculum and just looking at representation. And we are looking at that as well, but we're not scholars in any sort of like religious practice. So, I mean, we, I don't think we feel comfortable as talking about that. We can talk about some norms, you know, like this is like a practice that's more universal or maybe something specific to a community. We can talk to that, but most of the time we're looking at representation and we're looking at it more with a lens of like a professional lens. Are we going to put this in the library? Should you put this in, should you use this for school? I, you know, I, I love the work. I love looking at representation. Um, we look at, you know, stereotypes all the time. We look at the fact that of all our identities, how many are trying to be presented in this monolithic way or, you know, it's like in that way of like, is there a binary between? So even right. though, you know, we are trying to give nuance, we know that for professionals, it's hard. I mean, especially white professionals, they just, they tend to want to stick to a binary narrative, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. it's like the whole own voices, right? It's own voices, but own voices can get it 
wrong too. And sometimes own voices, even though they do one part very well, you know, like another part and representing another group of people is not the best either. Say what you mean when you say own voices, just for somebody listening. Ah, okay. Uh, so Cindy, and Cindy can speak to this uh, later, but, you know, um, was talking about the representation of, of people of like, you know, you don't see people like you and that actually... Um, I thought that was, that had been, like, there had been a longer history of that, and there definitely has been, but like everything else, when you push, you know, people of color, there's always going to be a pushback, and, you know, we're kind of waiting for that, so it's like, it's really interesting, because, you know, you saw a lot of, like, what were the big trends, like vampires, and... I don't know, steampunk or whatever. And and then all of a sudden you see so many more, so many more voices, whether it's by white authors or by own voice, the people who are representing their community. Well, I mean, representing themselves, but you see a larger, you know, representation of community because you know, none of us can really be an island to ourselves. We're, we're just not that complex, you know? <laughs> I say that ironically, of course, um, but uh, you know, you see, you see more representation in literature, right? So, um, so there is this this period right now, which I hope is a staying thing, uh, where you see more people who are representing them, themselves and other parts of their identity in their writing. So that's really own voices. And okay. Yeah, and you can see like the like uh, organizations like We Need Diverse Books that has, right. uh, stems from that own voice kind of hashtag own voice movement. You know, one of one of the reasons that I like to sort of start with um, that I wanted to start with family background and then to talk a little bit about what you do is because being a person of color myself, having friends who are um, people of color whether they're not black, just, you know, being a person of color, uh, you, there's this question about like who you are and where, you know, all this, it's like, we're Americans, you're American. And then I wanted to go, you know, um, secondly, like, okay, what do you do? And I felt like that shows I thrive despite, you know, despite any treatment of otherwise to being American, right? Despite any treatment otherwise, you go to work every day, right? Like you try, you, this is what you're still living and thriving. And I wanted people to get that, but I want to, I do want to now kind of go back into some of these moments that felt like border crossing moments, or that's my term for them. And I, I remember in high school when this, I mean, it might sound silly, but it was this little thing that like was eye opening for me. I remember just being a, you know, a black person. Um, I would say I watched some, um, the BET awards. Okay. Cause I'm going to see some, see some musicians that I like on this awards show. Um, and they might be on the MTV award, whatever. There's essentially, there's this, this music, like I loved hip hop. I still like hip hop. And I remember like, there was never a thought that like in class or at school, I would, my teacher, you know, like she's not going to know this music, you know, like there was never a thought that I could discuss this. So in my mind, any music for any student was just separate from school. Like the stuff that came on the radio was just separate. And I remember one day walking into class, cause like, if I'm going to talk about the BT Awards the next day at school, it's just going to be at lunch with somebody that I know, you know, or even going into class, if I'm singing a song, I'm going to stop before I go. Cause nobody's going to, like teachers, I can know. Anyway. All that to say, I remember this one time when um, 
these uh, white students were sort of singing, I don't know, some pop song. And then we were crossing into the classroom. And I remember thinking, why are they still, nobody's going to know. And then the teacher starts singing along with them. And I was like, it like, it was mind blowing as crazy as it might sound. (laughs) But I just remember thinking, so it's not all music. It's just maybe what I'm hearing that, that they're not going to be familiar with. And it's, it's just little stuff like that. And I'm not saying that for anybody listening to think, well, can we not sing music with the bigger point is you start getting these little signals or I did that certain things were included if you looked a certain way and I just thought about like who gets to do what who has access and then and who's treated and who fits in and who you know all these all these kinds of things that you you know I grow up thinking about and that was a mild one there's certainly others that were not so mild but anyway I'd like to hear from from you guys about some things maybe from childhood maybe from adulthood but some things that kind of leave you with like, hmm, that didn't, that that just, it felt like a border crossing sort of moment. Maybe I'll start with Cindy. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this last night. Um, you know, I definitely, right when I started school, like in kindergarten, I definitely felt being another, right? Um, just, just being bullied on the school bus and um, not being able to express myself in a way that I, I could at home. Um, it, it started then. And then in middle school, I was voted like most shy, which I was very quiet, very nice. I think I fit the model minority trope in school. Like Mm -hmm. I I was a rule follower. Um, But then at home, like my nickname was Big Mouth. Like I was bossy. People didn't like me. I mean, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I felt like I definitely felt a push and pull. Okay. This is school, Cindy. This is home, Cindy. Yeah. By the name, by the way, at home, I'm called, you know, Sansan or Daigajie, you know, like I'm, I'm not called Cindy at home really. Um, so right. kind of having those dual identities, but the one moment I think that I really like, it just got me to stop was in high school, um, junior year, I had run for student council and believe it or not, I won and I couldn't believe it. I I won for treasurer. That was the position I wanted because I actually wasn't very good in math, but I had confidence in it because people expected me to be good in math. So anyway, I I was treasurer. um, And then the following year, senior year, um, there's school council that you have to like run for, like for the class, but then there's also the whole school council, uh, student council. And right. so the president called me up that summer and was like, hey, you know, um, we want you to be on student council this year for your senior year to, to represent the whole school. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. I've, I've assimilated, you know, like, oh, they're accepting me. Hmm. And then they're like, but there's, and so I was like, okay, so I'll be treasurer again. And they're like, well, actually, no, no, you're going to be secretary because there's this tradition that um, the student council treasurer has to be blonde. So I'm on this phone call. Wait, wait, who is this that's called? Is this a fellow student? Yeah. I mean, and a, a nice guy. I mean, this is the, so. I, I that's why I haven't been back. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you haven't been back? Is that what you said? I, Stuff I like that? I can't handle, yeah, there was so much of that that was whether implicit bias explicit bias yeah Um, yeah 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 last night we just wrapped up teaching this series on race it's a six-week course that i do with this white guy and the black guy and then the um woman who's over it is biracial but we just wrapped up last night and we were just talking about this very sort of thing um 
where it's this implicit bias and this explicit bias and whether people notice it. But one of the main things we talked about was this idea that you can be nice and say something that is very racist. And that we, you know, they, they talked about um, the white guy who does it with me said, you know, white people hearing the term racist, it's just like, oh my gosh, what it, it sounds so bad. But they were like, there's ways to show things that feel not okay without it being as extreme as like a Dylan Roof, without it being the KKK. That's extreme, but there's there's levels. The nicest, sweetest person, and they're totally oblivious very often to the fact that they are being this way. So it's like, yeah, you know, you are nice, but I need you to be willing to look at these things that you need to kind of fix about yourself. And that's another thing too, like, like put down the defenses and think about it. And so that also makes me think about like, who were the adults? Like this guy, like once you're president, I think you're considered responsible and, you know, careful. And so sure you can make this call, but like, (laughs) that was said to you, like that was said to you. But granted, like in our school, we were taught in biology class about the different races. And that was when I, I was placed in the mongoloid race. And, you know, there were all these explanations about how all the different races are different because of where our ancestors grew up. And, you know, because we were near the equator, that's why our eye flaps, you know, we don't have eye flaps. They have to be smaller to protect our eyes. And and I remember a kid asking, oh, you know, don't we also call, you know, kids with Down syndrome mongoloid? They're like, yes, yes, that's why there's a resemblance. And I, I, again, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Were there any other Chinese students in your class or no. at school? Um, my brother and sister. I mean, I think there was like a Vietnamese family or two um, and maybe a Korean family. I mean, we were... Yeah. <laughs> was it mostly white and black other than that or mostly white or mostly white? Mostly white. Okay. Cindy, quick question. I wanted to go back to uh kindergarten about like why you were bullied. Was it just it's about being different essentially? Um I remember the first day like I walked onto the school bus and for some reason it was like half day kindergarten. So I was in the morning section, I think, and I got on the bus to go to school and our kindergarten also shared, um, it was K-5, our school. And so fifth graders were on the bus and I I don't know if they paired like kindergartners up with fifth graders because they were going to be our mentors or, you know, whatever. But I got placed in a a bus seat between these two boys who were fifth graders, white boys, Mm. and they would torment me throughout the whole ride. They would put me between them and they would push against me and they'll like laugh and jeer and say, we're making a Chinese sandwich. Oh my God. yeah, so I mean, this went on for weeks, and I I would tell I would when I couldn't say anything because I didn't speak English, oh. um, and I I know I told my grandma um, at home, and she she's she's from a village in China, and she was like no nonsense. I mean, she was like expletive this, expletive that. We're gonna go. I'm gonna beat up those kids. I mean, not really. She didn't really say right. That. No, she, I love it. I love it. But she was gonna come on the bus and yell at them for me. And I yeah. said, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm gonna, you know, get along in this system. <laughs> so um, I think one day I was brave enough to just not sit with them. Like I broke a rule. I wasn't sitting in my seat. I sat with another kindergartner, and and that was the end of that chapter that I remember. Okay. Um, one more thing too, thinking about you being given the shy label, 
and knowing that at home you're like nope i'm loud and i'm you know like loud boisterous and all these things what did that feel like like i because i i would think that it probably felt like okay this is who this is my school persona so I, i get it or did it feel like no this isn't who i am um when i got it i i was kind of like gosh, that's an embarrassing superlative to have. Like, I don't want to be most shy. I'm not most shy. I am an introvert, but you know, so I, I definitely felt like the dual personalities, like kind of solidifying, like, okay, so, you know, I'm doing well in school if I'm shy and nice. Um, and, and so I think that has even carried through into my profession. Um, I'm known as diplomatic. I'm known as nice. I'm known, you know, and with all the recent events and I reading more, learning more, I'm like, I I can't always be nice. In fact, that's not going to get the change we need for our community, for our country. Exactly. Um, Ariana, do you have some, um, some moments that stand out for you that fit the sort of border daily border crossings kinds of things? Maybe from yeah, childhood, and, adulthood, either one. Yeah, and sim- similarly to Cindy, I um, I definitely, I grew up with having a home name and a name at school. Like, Ariana is my full name. My mom just thought it was pretty. But, like, I think at one point she was going to name me Alice. So I'm like, oh. And not to say, sorry to all the Alice's out there, I just don't see myself as an Alice anymore. I'm sure if I wasn't named Alice, it would be fine. But, um, but so I had a home name as well. You know, it's just like a shortened version. It's just named um but uh but i do i do like listening to cindy's story i also thought about like those dynamics of being asian in you know really on the east coast and in the midwest and on the west coast are so different and even then you know my town wasn't particularly um populated like heavily populated with asian americans i think you know, back in the day, yes. I mean, there was it was there was like a Chinese fishing village that burned down, um, and um, and Japanese farmers, you know, in the valley and Salinas lost their farms right when they were interned, and some that you know their neighbors helped and yeah. to save them, but you know, not not much so. But still, it's like it, my my school was a very very white. And, you know, much the dynamic of being, you know, one of the only two black boys in school or in the class, um, I had, you know, like, there were a couple of Asian American um, uh, students in my class, but we never identified that way. You know, it was never, like, you never use a blanket term. It was always your own background, your parents like we're or grandparents or whatever whatever the country they were from um so so you identify as what then so i would say oh i was you know indonesian and japanese so i get that you know it's like i you know i i took that because but it was really interesting because i mean and you know our parents have their own stories and so with my mom's story and that's a reason why i use okinawan now is because she would identify as japanese and japanese people would say wait where are you from and she'd say, oh, okay, now it's like, well, that means you're not really Japanese, um, which, I mean, is, is it something in, in itself, you know, but, um, but they have, you know, so for me, I'm like, okay, well, what can I really take? And even years later now, and even though I don't have really that much of an Okinawan 
identity that was like a deliberately Okinawan. You know, I have had other Japanese people who say, well, that means you're not really Okinawan. Conversely, I've had other people say, yes, you are. And we take most of our pop stars from Okinawa anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so, but, um, but anyway, that's, you know, not, that's uh, not super related. But I, I, I do think that like there was that dynamic of, you know, there are other Asians. So I don't think I got teased for being Asian. I think I got teased or, or, or excluded, right. but because I was not the right type of Asian. I was not East Asian. I was not delicate and petite and cute, you know, and, you know, I, you know, we were, we were not like, we, it feels so small. It does, Mm. but we really adhere to rubber time and the rubber time in Indonesia is basically the equivalent of CPT. Mm. Uh, What? What? That's somewhere besides (laughs) No, we were never on time. And some of the, playing a little bit into like some some Muslim cultural norms too we're never on time you know so um so there were just you know like I would show up to school and it would be really late and all these things and so I mean from the teachers I don't think I think from that point even though it was my parents framing it there was just not that and this this town right this town is you know, in Central Coast, California, and even though it's, you know, California as a state overall is incredibly um, diverse, right? Right. Um, I faced a lot of different kinds of things. I mean, our town still, I think, well, maybe not in COVID, but still to this day, I mean, like we in third grade dressed up like Native Americans, you know, uh, that was that was a thing. Every year, the third graders dressed up as Native Americans, um, and, and we and did that's, a fun salutation. You know, and and that's, that's well, with the like wage back traditional quote unquote like whatever they thought Native Americans like right like, right. And this is like 1990 or something. You know, and then but the same town like I told you is like which burned down the Chinese fishing village. I mean, definitely xenophobia there. They instead turn around and they have a pageant every year where it's called the Feast of Lanterns. And now people can look up and say like, oh, where's Feast of Lanterns? Apparently I looked it up one year and there's some, there's one there and then there's one like Indiana or something. But basically they just took up a, a made up story, a made up Chinese story, like based on like a blue willow play or something. I don't know, but basically a made up story about like this evil Mandarin and he didn't let his daughter get married and then they flee and whatever. But basically it's an excuse to tell this made up Orientalist story. And then they take a whole bunch, I mean, recently, in the most recent years, there have, have been some Asian representation. But they just put a whole bunch of white kids, white girls, into a court where they call them, like, Princess Emerald, Princess Diamond, and they dress them in, quote-unquote, traditional Chinese clothing. So, I mean, it's, so it's, it's you know, and, and people want to protect this, this kind of, like, this small town homey kind of thing which you know of course is seeped in in racism right you know um so for me it's it's always been being othered but like not necessarily being othered in a particular way not really i mean there was nobody i mean we, we all had really white teachers i think that most diverse i mean like i had a black pe teacher and i think of course my black my black pe teacher was the only black teacher i had until 12 uh, until i was i graduated I think I like I, I you know it's like there's been memes that have been floating around I'm like oh it was there anyone else besides 
this teacher. Um, and I don't think so. I think like I had a Greek teacher once, you know, it's like, so I, I, um, and you know, even though it's California, it's like you would think it's like, oh, do you, do you have any? But this this particular school and the way districts cut, you know, it's like you cannot assume that right. things are going to be more equitable because people are liberal. Of course, like look, I live in Minnesota now, you know, so <laughs> um, like it's another bastion of like white liberalism, you know, or you know, so it just, I mean, like, but but there were moments like we did the play Peter Pan in like sixth grade or something, and I was cast as like an Indian. You know, um, and I got to be the giggling one. You know, it was like one of the original. You know, like the stage production or whatnot. And, and did they, they did, did did you have say in what what role or character you wanted to play, or did they decide? Do you remember? Not really. It was just like you were part of the general cast, and you can be placed anywhere. And our Tiger Lily was uh, a biracial Asian American. Um, and you know, it's like, but it was like, oof. You know, like looking at it now, it's like, what was this all? there are so many layers of things, you know, so, and, and I mean, I think, though, it's like being other did not enter my consciousness, really, which is, I mean, I feel like that huge privilege because of that. I'm sure the loneliness did, but uh, when I was in high school, someone actually asked me, and it was a, a parent, I mean, I went to school with her daughter all throughout, and I think that she wanted to know just, like, what was this experience like for us the ones who were obviously othered because, you know, they were, um, they were a Jewish family and, but they were, you know, white, white Jewish. I mean, they, I don't know if they were Ashkenazi, you know, but I'm, that's what, you know, I'm assuming, but, you know, she asked, it's like, has anyone ever treated you differently because you look you're not white. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like, and I didn't really think about that. But then I looked and I, I thought, I thought, you know, it's like I had teachers who had just assumed like English was my second language. And that had like basically had taken me out of some of the more, you know, advanced classes or whatnot. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it was part of it was, you know, my own lack of skills, but, um, but just thought that there was going to be something holding me back and it but and it was very interesting you know the, the person that was asking you you said that was a family or a, a no. parent I mean or a teacher it was a parent so she was a parent volunteer and I know her I mean like you know definitely I'm like but and it made me feel all kinds of strange ways and then of course I asked my friends afterwards and you know my friends were all white um because the school was predominantly white I mean right. like we had some people who had you know other kinds of mixed you know like a very intersectional heritage but i mean but for the most part now still identified as i mean not that you have a lot of white people identifying as white but they were just like they just did they were like oh you know we just see you as ariana we don't see you as being different which i mean now it's like of course it's like oh this colorblindness you know whatever but i mean also do you have do you have the words to articulate and i mean i think now a lot of teens now they're very they're very woke they have very much they have a lot of self-realization self-actualization self-awareness but i think at that point we just were not we did not have any sort of racial competency you know um i definitely remember just like you know discussing like later like oh the inner cities and you know like all all you know like basically lots of problematic kind of things but yeah um well i noticed that you said um sorry to cut you off when um when the the parent asked you and you were like oh you know we grow up with it 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 becomes our norm too you know we don't even realize that 
we don't know how bad it is. We know something feels different. You don't even realize like, it's like, oh, this is, are, are other people experiencing this? Or is this, this, or this is just how school has to go. And right. then until somebody, um, either maybe you realize something on your own or you see something or, or like that question that was posed to you, um, until that happens very often, you, you don't even, you just take a bunch of crap, you know, you just have to right. with, with stuff that right. you're like, wait a second. No, wait. This I mean, the, the power, right. The power the side eye right being able to have someone anybody who looks like you and just to be able to like look at them just give them a, like did you just hear what I heard yeah um and even you know it's like and you wonder I'm like I wonder to myself you know because this woman had you know like another I mean she was not I mean it's not like Jewish people have not been othered here I wonder if she was looking for a co-conspirator among students because she couldn't find one amongst teachers or other parents mm. you know um and so I uh, you know it's like now as an adult I think about that but um but I, I just, you know, it's like if you have a whole bunch of people who are very used to being in a space, who have a very assimilationist identity, how can you find anyone who you can identify with on that level, right? Um, right. So, yeah, so I, th I think about these things um, now because even for me, I've realized that I have a privilege. My cousins who, were the, who grew up and who came of age in the 70s, you know, have much more of an assimilationist uh, mentality than I do. I mean, and, you know, this is to say, and it's not to judge them. We just grew up in different times. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well that was like who they married, who they, what, who their friend groups are, you know, it's like, if you look at like a picture of you and your friends, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and for, for me, when I look at them, it's like, I'm, I'm not doubting their, that they, that their friendship is genuine. I'm not doubting that they love their friends or that their friends love them, but they look like the token Asian person in that group, right. you know, right. um, as opposed to, and I was like, how come none of your other friends are like, why isn't there another person in this, in this photo? Everyone in here is white and has blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing. You know, bringing up assimilation, I wanted to talk about that. Um, and Cindy, you touched on it when you said, you know, you got this call from the um, president, right? Student council president. Yes. And you were like, yes, I've assimilated, I've made it. You know, we, we, my family has been reading Stamped. We just finished it maybe two weeks ago, the, um, the young adult version. Yeah, yes, yeah, oh, Jason exactly. Reynolds, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so there's a lot of talk about assimilating and, you know, the three kinds, right? Segregationist, um, assimilationist, assimilationist, and the yeah, anti-racist. Anti-racist. Um, and so, you know, it talks about how assimilating at one point, especially it was, I don't know that the word was necessarily used, but that was the thing to try to be and try to do. And, um, and it doesn't work according to them. Like, it's like, that's not going to be the thing in the end. And in my research and work at, on race, which I've done a ton and I still do, and I'm always doing something and learning something about race and different races and, and um, race and gender and intersectionality and race and education and all these things. And to your point about feeling like, um, yeah, I've assimilated, you know, and then they say this thing. 
and they say, well, it's blonde. It's like, okay, so as hard as I work, right, to assimilate, I'm still looking different. You still have not accepted me. As much as you treat me like you accept me sometime because I'm quiet or shy, because I make good grades, because I, you know, don't interrupt the system, I'm really not truly assimilated. And I think I've met a number of Asian people, I don't even think I know, I've met a number of Asian people who felt like they needed to assimilate or their parents wanted them to assimilate. And some of them still, like to Ariana's point, still feel like, well, that's this is the way I'm going to go. And then some of them felt like, yeah, I tried it. I'm not going that route. Did you feel like, because you, you said, yeah, I've assimilated, they've accepted me. Did you feel like that assimilation, the desire for that came from home pressures at all or from yourself? Um, I think it came from myself. And, and honestly, like, I didn't even have that word in my vocabulary back then. I mean, yes. I mean, as we're reading, we're like, you know, to dismantle racism, you have to use the language of racism. And, and so um, back then, I think I wanted to be liked, I wanted to be like everyone else, you know, and, and everyone else in my little worldview was 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 white. Um, I, my close, close friends were actually South Asian or Indian. And, and so, and I think about that and, and I'm wondering why, you know, these people were, were my best friends. Um, and it's because I think we were able to share some of the otherness. Right. I don't think we, we said it outright. We yeah. didn't have the language to say it outright. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my parents, um, they, they were busy making a living you know, three children, you know, I mean, yeah. we, we were a multi-generational yeah. family, you know, grandparent, um, cousins, <laughs> aunts and uncles living under the same roof for, at some point. So they were, they were very busy with um, the Chinese restaurant business. And so they were more like, I mean, I don't know if this is cultural or just um, generational or, or their upbringing, but they were like, okay, listen to the teacher, you know, don't, don't speak out, you know, yep. like what they say is right. Yep. Um, and, and this was all done out of love. Um, they, they wanted me to do well and um, they didn't put a lot of pressure. I mean, I didn't have the other, I guess, stereotype of having like a tiger mom or anything like forcing me to get or, or encouraging or really nudging me to get A's or anything like that. I, I had that drive within myself. I don't know if I saw it as a ticket out of that small town. Um, now I know it is or was. Um, but did I answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, I wondered who, you know, if the pressures came from without or from within. Yes, you, 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 totally, you totally did answer. Thanks. Ariana, I wanted to talk to you a little bit too about um, assimilating or you look like you were about to say, make a point maybe about something. She said. <laughs> Jump right in. No, I just, I just think of, you know, that, that assimilationist model is that do you have any alternative model? You know, it's like if you don't have a teacher who's willing to help you disrupt the system, we talk about white supremacy, talk about racial uh, triangulation, right? It's all by design. You know, ask me how old I was when I found about Yuri Kochiyama. It wasn't until, even though, look, I'm Muslim American, you know, it's like I didn't hear about her until after undergrad. Ask me how old I was when I heard, at, heard about Grace Lee Boggs or Vincent Chin, or, you know, it's like, or just, or, you know, like, just what, what does it mean to be Asian American, Asian American? Who coined Asian American? Why was, uh, like, you know, what did it mean? You know, like, what were those, we didn't have those political views. We didn't have that civic engagement. There were, was no entry point for us. So even though you have students, even now you have students who, 
you know, who, who just like, they're kind of floundering in these, in these institutions, yeah. um, like wondering, you know, where they fit in to this narrative or where they can stand when it comes to discussing race, to discussing anti-blackness. And we don't have those models and it's by design. I, I think that the, yeah, the attacks, I was going to say attacks on like Linda Sarsour, you know, it's like if, if you disrupt any sort of narrative, like of a good narrative, you are not put in. I mean, I know, I know Yuri Kochiyama has said some stuff about Osama bin Laden. I know that there have been people who said things and so they're like canceled forever, but you cannot ignore the fact that they're disrupting that narrative, right? It's like my brother found out, even though we, look, we lived in Monterey County, right? We lived in Monterey County, Cesar Chavez was right there, right? And we never learned about Larry Itliong. We never learned that Asian Americans have a place, you know, where we, and, and what, you know, what that means, like, and solidarity, building solidarity. There was none of that. And that's all, I mean, and even if a teacher doesn't necessarily do it because they're doing it by design, that the whole structure is by design. Mm. So, you know, I, so I think when we talk about like anti-racism, when we talk about, you know, assimilation, you know, it's like when you're told, like, just keep your head down, you know, and study and work hard. I mean, I remember, I forget who the author was, but a couple of years ago when I read, um, there was an article what, about young man who his father always was like pushing him into STEM and that's a that's a very common narrative I mean in my in my husband's family and with a lot of South Asian families that I know is that you can be a, a doctor or you can be an engineer because those are skills people cannot take from you regardless yes you may always be othered but those skills and not to have soft skills right have hard skills you know like that that people cannot take away from you which is you know and, and it's interesting because my parents were kind of the keep the head down mentality, but my but my father was also like, you know, you can challenge that voice. I mean, he was part of like a labor union as well, you know, but um, but still, even then, you know, so he buy into, you don't, you don't have to buy into the whole package, but if you buy into different parts of that narrative, what does it turn out? It could be exactly the same. You know, um, the getting pushed into STEM, right? That just feeds into the stereotype that, you know, model minority kind of thing. Of course, they're, you're going to want to do math and you're going to want to do um, right. something engineering. And it's like, there are other, we have other qualities. I, I was saying to uh, Cindy, um, there was this one Asian woman and she was talking about her and, and other Asians that she knew um, about work that they needed to do with black Americans and sort of this whole, you know, solidarity kind of thing. And I, and I got the sense that she was getting the sense that, you know, looking back on her life, that a lot of emphasis was put on trying to assimilate. And me as a black person, I feel like, you know, I've had from other black friends or, or, or things on and movies or TV or watching people or just talking to different people as, as I have as a journalist, where Asians would feel like there's this divide. I mean, the divide goes back from years from like, you know, the Watts riots and all of that. But there was at some point this thought from some Asians about black people where it's like, why are you, you guys are always talking about race. You guys are always bringing up, bringing it up, you know, and we're sort of keeping our heads down and just working and we're not bringing attention to it. And it was almost this thing of like, just try and assimilate too. Like, why, why are you guys making this whole big deal? So it felt like if you're black, you're hearing Asians think, why are you doing this? But it also, if you're black, you're thinking, well, why aren't you doing this? Because they're never going to fully see. It's not like you can assimilate and be white. Like it's not going to happen. 
you know? So it's like, be yourself and don't lose your heritage and your culture in that process. And so it felt like this whole white dominant culture thing to keep all the people of color not getting along. (laughs) And it's like, so many people don't see that. Like it's, you know, it's like these subcultures of color not getting along because they want to move up or, or do whatever. It's just see, it's a trick or a tool or, or something like you said, maybe like, you know, by design or Cindy, I see you right. shaking your head there. Yeah, kind of going back to what Ariana was saying, it's by design. I mean, it, yes, that's why you have a model model minority um, so that it, within your BIPOC community, you're, there's so much infighting and distrust that we're not dismantling the system that's causing all of this. Yes, yes, right. And model minority in air quotes you had there. Yes. Ariana? Because you had a lot, I remember you having a lot to say about um, anti-Black racism and how you started there, but like how that needs to be acknowledged. And it doesn't mean, I think it might be also a misconception, maybe from some Asian people who think that if um, Black people are talking about racism, that they only care about Black racism, but that's just not true. It's just that I I continue to talk about it because it's not solved, right? It hasn't ended. It doesn't mean that I, I... think that that's the only type of racism that should be focused on but it does mean that you know it was the first well after native american like that that atrocity slavery was a real thing you know that were human beings being enslaved and i like to think of it as like the 400 year hostage crisis like i like the hostage rape and torture like you were holding people hostage and torturing and raping right and um and like these were humans like think of it like you know and so all the fallout from that from years from that to Fast forward to Jim Crow, you know, there's still pieces of that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, Black people don't care about other races. It just means that you want to fight it all. No, exactly. And I think, you know, when we talk about Asian American umbrella, even though, you know, all the intentions were good and we're trying to get to that point, but who is Asian? You know, when we're included, who is Asian? Do people only see them? I mean, like I definitely have been in spaces where I've always been made to be felt less than, right? If I go to OCC. Like, I'm the only visibly Muslim there, you know, like I, and not to say that that's, oh, that's a, like necessarily a problem, but, it, you know, like you are still an only in a smaller population. Well, and you right? said if you or go to POCC, which is, that's a, um, the, the people of color conference, people of color conference. Is, Right. That's part of the National Association of Independent Schools. So this yeah. is an independent school. This is not even talking about public schools. Right. right? But um, well, but I'm going right, yeah. to jump in for just a second, too, because I was going to mention that you, you, you mentioned it earlier that um, in terms of who is Asian, when people think Asian, they so often think Japanese, Chinese, Korean. Right. Like they they don't they don't see you very often. Right. Like I, I right. get like you and you wear a hijab like you're Muslim, you know, and and so. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. It's like when you think about, like, who coined Orientalism? It was Edward Said, Palestinian man, right? So do we can include Arabs? And then why is Arab, or why is the Middle East the Middle East? Why isn't it the Middle West or the Southwest? There, I mean, there is a movement right now of a lot of people who are trying to turn that into Southwest Asian, right? But mm. who do you erase? We always erase, you know, that that's the that's the whole whole thing. It's like, it's so easy to, you know, if you're talking about the model minority myth, if you're, you know, like if you have people like, you know, certain, certain pundits, you know, in, who are on certain cable stations, you know, um, who talk about, you know, it's like, well, Asian Americans are doing so much better than white people. It's like, well, 
are they really? It's like, do you know what the poverty level is, you know, uh, amongst poor elderly Chinese people or Bhutanese or, you know, it's like if you, if you just have this huge umbrella, you erase those narratives, Yeah. you know? So, I mean, and, and it's, it's not necessarily that's like, oh, it's, it's so diverse and other groups are not as diverse. No, that's not true. It's that we just got lumped into a huge, under a huge umbrella, right. you know? And, um, you know, it's like the same thing, right? It's like how many, how, when we say Latinx, are you, are you erasing Afro-Latinx people, right? I saw a meme, I thought it was so funny, but they're just like, you know, they're like, oh, Kamala Harris can't be, I can't be a, a descendant of slaves because her father was from Jamaica. And the, you know, this Twitter user was like, I feel like I really want to teach a course right now called how the F do you think black people got to the Caribbean? You know, um, you know it's like, and it's, but I think in all of these spaces, you, even though it may look different, the, the, the overwhelming narrative or the overwhelming attitude is anti-blackness whether it comes from colorism or you know it's like you want to buy into that model minority you know and even even in spaces i mean look i like as a muslim american going into different spaces you know it's like even though you know and being in minnesota you know i have you know colleagues who you know they're like you know we're somali american but we were not we never identified as black until we got to america right right um, that's and, a very and, yeah yeah that's a very you have that if you are it's anti-blackness you're right is a real thing and right. and you didn't they didn't i mean that's race is such a social construct such an american one right we're gonna make white and we're gonna make black and that's an american right. thing and you have so many people who get here and they're like wait i, I have to be called a color because i wasn't before my um right. a, a former colleague who was japanese talked about yellow the term she was like what like when i came to america it's like and i'm lumped and like i hear that i'm yellow you know so it's like all this color thing that we need to feel like we we have to name but then there's also as a black person um because anti-blackness is such a thing that sometimes you will have somebody who comes from an african country where these parents are telling you know teaching their children to be hold on to your african roots which is that's fine but it's like they do not want to even identify as african or be considered african-american because of negative stereotypes about african-americans and so they're like do not assume that we are like those black americans we are not like them you know so you've got this again this subgroup inner intra stuff yeah and i mean and there's so many dynamics there because there are other people who are like they have to teach their elders right they're like do you think they're going to carry your Somali if you get shot in the street, right? It's right. Like people, you know, go, go and, and drive, just drive your car. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, it's like, like they look at like Amadou Diallo, right? And like, oh, you know, yep. so I mean, and I think that that's, that's something It's like, you know, but also in that narrative, and, and once again, this is not my, you know, like the community because I'm Muslim, but I'm not, I'm not black. And, and but, also have to, to have those inner, like those intra-community conversations right. because yeah. the narrative about being black and African-American and having those 400 years, right, is different than if you came to this country as an immigrant, right? And so right. are you still taking the, that power? Are you still taking that voice from the people who need it? you know, and, and who need to express it and who is leading, you need to follow, you know, because of the work that's being done. 
And I mean, and and for all of us as Asian Americans, if you came to this country after 1965, do you know what you owe uh, to the civil rights movement? I mean, like, you know, before 1965, of course, you know, I have military industrial complex stuff in my background, but, you know, the, but we weren't able to immigrate. We weren't white immigrants, you know? Exactly. That's, I mean, we, and who do we owe that to? We owe that to the whole of the entire civil rights movement. Thank you for, yeah, right? That is something that I feel like a lot of people don't think about in terms of like the the struggles, just thinking about Dr. King and and, thinking about John Lewis, thinking about these people who marched, but also thinking about their families. So maybe you have a wife and you have kids and these kids have to grow up without a father because your father has to go out and fight. And not that the wives weren't marching too, but your father is constantly trying to just fight and push and march and protest so that people can have rights. And while other people if you're a white family you're just home you know you're with both parents right like it's like the the amount of struggle you know there was a lot of of loss um that had to happen for these laws to pass and for these things so you know so i I wish people would consider that thank you for dropping that in here because because all these things are important that is not to take away though again from any hardships that you experienced either of you um i want to Ariana, I want to clarify, you were saying something about your name. What were you saying about Ariana? Oh, yeah. So my, my name at home is Rena. So it's just, it's just a shortened name. One, it's, a, it's, it's not an uncommon Indonesian name. It's not an uncommon Japanese name. So that's yeah. something my parents, you know, who both spoke English to each other, yeah. you know, they were like, oh, this is my home name. So it's still kind of jarring if I have some, because some of my friends tried it out. They tried it on me. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, and, and they're like, well, can I not say it? And now, because that's what your parents call you. That's what your family calls you. And I feel like I'm, I want to be part of your family. I'm like, I'm close to you. Can I say it? You know, I was like, you can. I don't know if I'm going to always answer to you. <laughs> you know? And why did you keep that separate? I don't know. I mean, I just, I just felt like one part was like my school identity, you know? Uh-huh. And then the other part was, you know, like, like Cindy was saying, was like a home identity. This is the, you know, it's reserved. It's like my, my parents would never, you know, it's like you have the people who are like, you know, Ariana, Augustine, San, you know, it's like, or, or, or Sonny. It's like, they would never do that, but they just call me Rina. And I know it's like, you know, you already know, you don't even, so you don't even need to get to that point with a lot of families before you, like, you already know your parents are serious. Right. <laughs> so, so, so Rena, I, so I, Rena I, is a nickname? Yes, just a nickname. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Cindy, about your name. Um, I, I think when my parents were picking out names, my mom yes. told me she chose Cynthia because it was a beautiful English name. And it meant, okay. I don't know what it meant to her exactly, but she really liked that name. Um, but then they also gave me a Chinese name, Puisan, which means I think technically each character is a beautiful coral. Um, they like the look of that character. And so I have this you know, long name, um, but at home they would call me kind of a nickname of my Chinese name, San San, like the second part of it. And at school, like my official name, Cynthia. So it gets a little really confusing, but I prefer Cindy, you know, but Mm -hmm. some people call me Cynthia. So I have all these identities, like professionally, (laughs) some people call me Cynthia. (laughs) At school, you know, teachers who know me well call me Cindy. And, And now at home, like it's the Chinese name, but also they call me Cindy. And all my cousins, since I'm the oldest one, they call me by like my honorific Chinese title, which is Dai Gajie, which technically stands for big, like oldest sister. 
Okay. All okay. my cousins, I mean, they, yeah, sometimes call me that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to switch gears to uh, coronavirus, COVID, and if it felt like, because, you know, there's, there's stuff in the news about racism, um, particularly against Asians, particularly if an Asian is, a person is Chinese, not that a lot of Americans will take the time to figure out, you know, but there's that piece. But I'm wondering if there was a period after like so for cindy you grew up with the crap in uh, the harrisburg area um, of pennsylvania so you leave and you know i'm sure you still probably dealt with maybe some stuff in college or 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 what have you but i wondered when i started reading the stuff about um asian racism because of coronavirus um i don't think that our president made it any better um but that's a whole other issue um and i wondered if if it felt like a flashback? Like, was there like a long period of not a lot of, I don't know, outward racist stuff and then all of a sudden it resurfaces? Or were there um, things along the way? Maybe maybe they never stopped. Right. I, I think kind of like just in general with racism in America, it's, it's, it's there. We, mm-hmm. I mean, our country's built on it, but how it presents itself, right? Like, um, going back to the model minority trope, like, you know, people in power use that until they can't anymore. It's not useful anymore. So for example, now in in this pandemic where, you know, all all this is stemming from Wuhan, China and people in power need a scapegoat. They need somebody to be mad at and it shouldn't be them, you know, for a lack of a coordinated national response on our part. So, so Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like we, East Asians, Chinese Americans, Chinese Chinese people are are going to be blamed for it. Um, and and I know in talking to some of my other Chinese um, Chinese American friends, yeah, they they feel it. Um, some of it is you know overt, and and other times it's just you know when you're walking down the street with your mask and. And people cross the street, so are they social distancing? Are they thinking, I, you know, I mean, especially in the early period right. when we didn't know that much. Right, yeah. right. Sorry, my Wi-Fi connection's just awful. Do you, do you want to add, could you hear my COVID question? Yeah, you know, just uh, about targeting the Asian American community. Specifically and about the if there, it seemed like there had been a break in racist, uh, I don't know, the feelings of the implicit bias or anything. Um, uh, from then until like it came back heavy, it came heavier. I know Cindy felt like it sort of manifests in different ways, never really stops. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's you know, it's like it's the the narrative and how it it changes, how it evolves, right? And I think that you know, here in Minneapolis, like the infuriating thing is that you know, it's like it's not, it just spreads to you know, immigrants and the whole idea of immigrants as being dirty or whatnot. I mean, I, you know, like, and you have healthcare professionals. This is something that was in like some mom's group that I was part of, like people who are sharing these like infuriated posts, but you know, where like a, a nurse who lives like in St. Cloud was saying like, oh, do you, don't you see the flare ups are mostly in the, you know, the immigrant communities, specifically like this, they were talking about the Somali American communities. Is this because of a different culture? Is this because of cleanliness, right? And you had this, uh, you know, you know, Somali woman who responded and she said, I don't know. I don't want to know how clean you want to keep your podcast, Samantha. But basically, she said, you know, we, we, oh, she said, she said, bitch, we, we wash our feet more times in a day than you wash your ass in a week. 
like <laughs> but no but she but basically we're just saying like like how can you make you know like what are these assumptions that you're making about immigrant you know immigrant communities um and of course you know it's like and we had like a, a pretty prominent asian american authors who were saying like something like a, a thank you for not treating me horribly because you per you, you didn't call me coronavirus or whatnot so it's like it's you know, infuriating in that way as well. It's like where you feel like super happy that someone didn't treat you in a racist manner, right? Uh, right. It's like in that, in a, you know, it's odd in that odd way. But um, it's also like for the, the Somali um, reference, you know, or for the person who's like, is it a culture? Is it, are they, it's like a lot of immigrants are in the service industry. So for those who are, they're having to be around more. It's like, can you think about what they do, you know, or think about where the exposure might come from before you just put this blanket statement on, you know, on a group because of the cultural or, or cleanliness reasons, you know, it's I mean, like, think. Yeah, you see the numbers, you know who is disproportionately uh, affected. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact is that there's you reasons. Know, there are reasons, you know, and, and this country has determined that those reasons are, you know, 170,000 people are fine collateral damage, you know, um, and it's, I mean, it's disheartening, you know, yeah. and, and you, and you know, it's like, you know, we'll, we'll see what the repercussions have, you know, will be, I mean, or we, we've seen some of them, but what the right. long-term numbers are and you know it's like it is it's 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 heartbreaking and i'm sure that bullying in amongst younger kids you know in and teens is is tough too and i'm sure that we'll hear all their stories soon you are listening to daily border crossings we are talking to two uh asian american educators one who identifies as chinese one who is muslim and i want to we are talking about about experiences um personal professional i wanted to ask you guys about your children and i want to talk about what you see that they might experience what you felt like you know the impact has been for you um the implications and then what you think people should know um as we start to to think about wrapping up um so have your children because that's that's the hard part like that is for me as a black person i've had my son ask me some questions that have had tears you know it just brings me to tears i mean i'm driving and he's five and he's in the back seat and he asked me if am i gonna go to jail and i was just like you've already got you you know that sometimes the person of color is pulled over or stopped or harassed or whatever not because they did something wrong now you know that that can happen um and you speak up for yourself next thing you know you're in cuffs you know like you know that it's not always because you did something wrong and then i was also talking to someone about um a white woman who does this work with me and she's like you know when I think about the amount of disproportionate people in jail that are, you know, like black people, like some of them for stupid stuff like loitering. She said, you know, I'm a white woman and I stand around and talk outside all the time. She's like, I see us. I see us out here loitering. And she said, it's not that black people are committing way more crimes. It's just that they're not arresting us for the same dumb stuff. You know, so it's just these little things. And, you know, I'm driving and I, and, and I cry. And he doesn't know because I don't let him see the tears. And I, you know, I was like, how can I give an honest answer? Like, I want to say no, um, because, uh, you know, this is KJ, who he's eight now, who wouldn't hurt a fleet. I mean, he's this little kid with these glasses. You know, they even had bifocals. He's finally, yesterday, Tuesday, we had an appointment. He can finally get rid of the bifocals. You know, he like wrote, he wrote a chapter book this summer. It's like the third time writing a chapter book. And he just finished second grade. I mean, this is who he is. He wants to just play Minecraft all day and design roller coasters. Like, he's, he's so 
kind but he still is black a black boy and so there are these things that that i have to think about that i don't want to so it hurts when it's your kids so i just wanted you guys you guys to quickly share about like what present day stuff um daily boarding crossing things you see for your own children yes this one is close to home um i remember i think i was driving my son home when he went from school when he was around five i think and we were just chatting in the car and he was talking about this other kid uh, that he met and what they were sharing and and just from the description um and you know the language he was talking about i was like oh is he asian like you and me you know is he asian like us and my son was like what i'm not asian I'm American. I mean, he was <laughs> livid that I would even suggest such a thing. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this is a big parent failure on my part. Did I not teach about my ancestral, you know, culture yes. and everything? Right. And so that began the conversation with, yeah. well, we, we, we are seen as, you know, Asian American, or you, you can be Chinese, Filipino American, you know, because dad's family's from the Philippines, and my family's from China, Hong Kong. And, and so he was very confused. He was like, but I, I, I was born in America. I was like, yeah, so, so was I. But, <laughs> and then I had to say, like, people put us into groups. Yeah, you know, I had to tell like my, the social construct, like I, I yeah. tried to explain it. And I, I've been pretty honest with my son on, Same. he's now 10. I've been encouraging him to read widely, like, you know, from off, like of books by authors who are different than us, right? Um, right. Black authors, um, yeah, and, and even Asian authors. Yeah, so good for you. Good for you. Yeah. So, so because <laughs> it seems like I you mean, wonder, you know, I wonder yeah. where that come from, right? Like this, like, well, no, I, I'm not, right? Like it's freeze. Like, wait, do you, are you afraid to be? You know, do you think you shouldn't be? Like, you think all those things. I think as a parent, but but, but good for you for to keep but that to keep that he going. He read stamped um, the remix by Jason Reynolds and oh, did he um, read Andy. it? Yeah, he read it first because I I bought it. You know, he wanted to know about the George Floyd piece and the Black Lives Matter, and so yep. we were definitely studying a lot and he he finished that in a day and now like our conversations have changed so much like he'll he'll be watching a tv show he's like oh my gosh was that was that kind of racist that they said that I was like yep you know yep so I mean I think it's just disrupting it within yourself and I love hearing recognizing this. it yeah I, I I do the same thing with KJ like because because I tell him you're going to be in these environments um especially he goes to a private school um and there's not many of him. So I want him to know like what to look for, you know? Um, and so we talk, we talk about it all the time. We talk about, you know, race and just, just to be prepared. So, so, you know, um, you know, if it, if it, not even if, but when something happens, you're like ready. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Ariana, do you, I mean, Adam is still small, but not necessarily um, who knows. Go ahead. No, oh, I just want to say, Cindy, I'm super uh, encouraged and inspired that your son, who's 10, has read Stamped. You know, like, I know that was for us. It's like a bit of middle school read. But, you know, it's like in some of the books, like this book is anti-racist. Some other books that are like in that 10 cusp or like they're pushed towards middle school, I'm going to put them in my elementary school collection, you know, just to make people, you know, like, not, I mean, 
definitely there is that element of protectionism in elementary school. But and I want to, you know what, Ariana, I'm going to jump in. Uh, for one, Stamp, it was such an easy read, right? I love yeah. how it was written that yeah. it, was, it was quite an well, easy read. But also, um, there was a, a meme that I saw on Instagram the other day, and it was saying that, um, how early do you start teaching kids about race? And it said, if black kids are old enough to experience it, white kids are old enough to learn about it. And so, exactly. that you know, I, I didn't think of it that way before and when I designed my own curriculum for like three-year-olds when I started I started at the preschool three-year-old level and then fours and fives to talk about race and be inclusive but um it is a privilege that white people get to be able to shield their kids from it and think well it's too young for them to talk about it well how come it's okay for my kid to experience it then that my kid's not too young right so go on sorry no no I think you spoke to it as being exactly exactly the issue is that we don't have that luxury we don't and but the the other thing is that i feel like if educators have are aiming to be anti-racist they have to have those hard conversations but they don't they don't want to be wrong either they don't want to white explain to a family you know it's like because i just recall some colleagues who said like well i had one black mother who said that they don't want me to introduce slavery to their first grader, I want to be the one who does it. And I was like, but when are you going to have that conversation with your child? You know, when are you going to have that conversation with your child? Because for all the other kids here, you want them to, have, when are they going to have it? And so if they're ready, when they're ready, they're going to get it. So before that, like, what are all these preconceived notions that they're, you know, like, that they're going to have? What are they, right. what, what kind of damage do you think they're going to do to your child along the way? Yep. You know, you know, it's like, and so for me, I think as a parent, well, one as as a librarian, I really want to push that. You know, it's like I have some some teachers. I mean, like most. I don't know. I don't want to say most. I've only had like two experiences in independent school. In both programs, the preschool, nursery, kindergarten have been amazing when it comes to identity work. And somewhere in between, like first grade and fifth grade or something, that gets lost. Where, even if you have an identity unit, are you talking about systemic racism or not? And right. so my child, you know, I, like I had, and I'll just share, like our, our children or two, two boys were in the same uh, nursery class. And, uh, but my son knew, he knew in like when he was three, right? He knew he was a brown child. Two weeks after the start of the program, even despite the fact that teacher, he thought he was white. I am white. So mm, it's like that's weeks, the, that's the other weeks. part of me. In two, two weeks. And the, that's a narrative you're always going to have to fight. You know, is that because, but it's if you see everything, that's the other thing. I mean, I know that there are a lot of Asian people out there who are like oh but we don't have a place so we can't be we're not this we're not that I was like but it's fine you can you can have those conversations he's like well I'm not I'm not black so I must be white you know mm -hmm. it's like no that's not true it's like but my skin is light and it's it's true I mean like and he'll look at me and he'll say that I'm like much darker than him which is I mean true but but I think that it's interesting like why how I'm like, but mommy's skin is still uh, uh, beautiful, right? And your friend's skins are still beautiful, right? And so what is wrong? Why did you embrace this narrative of wanting to be white? Even right. though I've tried to deliberately teach you that everybody is beautiful, that all skin is valued, that it's just skin, 
right? I mean, and, and not just say just because it's the biggest you know organ in our body, right? And it's something that you can't ignore. But right. why, you yeah. know? And so for me, it's been and it's and I hope, you know it's like we've tried to reinforce it. Lots of different books, lots of things, lots of conversations, lots of looking at our family members. Yeah. I cannot tell you how soul crushing it was to have my son look at my brother who is you know darker his skin is a darker tone like my father my some of my brothers are darker than a lot of people you know but to look at them and to not tell me that their skin is brown but to tell me that their skin is dark white what is that you know, what so I, what is that? I don't, so I have, I know it's always going to be a battle, but you know, that's the other thing that people need to know. Your conversation is never over, right? It's not like you can take like the same kind of thing. One ethnic studies class is not going to make you woke. It's not going to make you an anti-racist. Right. It's a constant, constant battle to fight Absolutely. those things that yeah. are like, or are so ingrained. Somebody described and, it, I heard yeah. somebody describe it as like, if it's like a, a flood that gets in your house or, or in your boat you got you constantly you're constantly picking it up right like it's not going to you have to keep fighting at it you have to or you or you drown and as a racist right like but if you want to to not um to, if you want to fight racism and be an anti-racist you have to constantly do that and if and if it's if it's us who want to have these children in these environments we also on the flip side have to constantly remind them you are important right like you you and your brown self and your Asian self, you know, you, you don't have to be white to feel like you're important too. You know, you don't, that's not, that's not what you have to have to be. And I think Samantha, it's like your boat analogy is so, is so apt because we are tired, right? Some people are tired of bailing out that boat and we know who we lean on to bail on that boat. But you know, every single person who gets on that boat comes with their own baggage, right? Right. And that baggage is heavy. And if they are not doing their part to bail out that boat, what are we doing? What are you doing a service to anybody? No, because in the end, we will all drown. Yep. All right. My last things. <laughs> um, I was going to ask about the impact. I think I can see and hear the impact of things like that, right? Like you, Cindy feels like I don't even want to go back to that place, right? And and Ariana, you talked about like it's soul crushing to hear your child say these things. So I want to ask, you know, well, two last things. What you think people need to know. So not just teachers, um, it could be educators or teachers, it could be the person at the store that's being rude. Like what is it that people need to know or could do differently or need to do to help with these sorts of things so people don't feel like they're having to cross the border or not being able to bring their full selves. And also some tools um, for people who are in these situations, like what has helped you guys survive these moments? And you can answer either one in any order. So the first part was, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, the, first, the part, first part. I know tools was the second part. But what the your, first your part was um, what you thought, like, what is it that people need to know or do differently um, so that people don't feel like they can't just be who they are um, in, in their, in their pre- presence? Or, or if they do be who, if they are being who they are, they don't have to feel like they're so out of place. Yeah, I think um, number one for me is don't assume. Don't assume there's one story that will that that my narrative follows. Um, a lot of times, like th- there is another Asian educator in my school, and we get confused all the time. <laughs> 
by parents and I try to explain I was like no I was not your son's teacher and they're like no yes you were I was at your back to school night I'm like I know I was not your son's teacher so, so please like like just stop just stop and and think and and try to empathize yeah that that's one piece of advice I have okay Ariana <laughs> it's a long yeah. one. Why can't they need? Maybe if they, if it was an easy one, they would have done it by now. <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, I just that you know, everybody is an individual, of course. Like nobody can represent their community, right? And I think that that's 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 a huge thing. You know, it's like, and you know, if your first instinct when you have a uh, conversation with somebody is to jump and you know, and I don't know, like take them down because. They are, they are different from you. You know, it's like, I, I, I think of, I think of these things because I mean, I think that's something that's been brought into me like time after time. It's like, you know, you need to learn how to give people grace. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to, you know, because it's like, they just, because of the power people have to hurt. But, um, but I do, I think that think about it, think of everybody as like, an like Cindy said, as an individual, try to think it's like as many feelings as you have flowing through your mind at any time of the day you know people like another person has those same feelings you know so just to be able to see humanity in a person I mean it's just so powerful you know it's like and we're and it's easy it's easy to fall in the systems right white supremacy is a system grouping people is a system group mentality is a system you know, like when yeah. you start to look at people and look at their individual situations, you get to see so much more nuance. You get to see where they came from and how mm-hmm. they got to that point, right? I mean, and that applies to people who don't even see us as human. And that's and that's hard, you know, and sometimes you can be the bigger person and sometimes, you know, you can just look up uh, people behaving badly and, and smile when they get punished. <laughs> no, no, not, but I, but I do think that, you know, it, it's self-care and, and just trying to find, you know, if you want to improve anyway, in any way, just those little steps every day. The tools, um, what, what has helped you guys? And this could be hopefully for some listener who is like, yep, yep, that was, that's me. Or maybe that is me now. Like what, what do you think helped you push, keep pushing forward? Cindy? Um, For me, I think finding colleagues, um, if you're talking about a work setting, um, finding other colleagues, and and they happen to be people of color (laughs) who I can relate to and and speak frankly about these issues and, and, you know, feeling otherness or whatnot, and, and just kind of and also taking a break from it all. You know, I know sometimes there's equity teams and everything. And at one year, I had to withdraw from it all. I was exhausted. Yeah. The voice for Asians. And it's just like, <laughs> just let me take a break. I mean, I know that's also privilege to be able to take a break. I mean. But it's so understandable, though. Like, I understand because because so many people who aren't people of color get to take breaks Oh, like you're they're always taking breaks unless they decide to kind of step in and it's like um somebody described uh marty swaim of who she um started this organization challenging racism in arlington um but she describes it as racism as this thing that white people dropped off in the laps of people of color it's like hey i'm gonna come drop this thing off in your lap like if your boss came and just gave you this load of stuff and said okay now you solve it you're like, well, where do I begin? Can you give me some tools? Can you help me solve it? Like, why would you drop this off and leave? Um, because it's your problem that you created. I didn't create this problem. But so often we are the faces of the equity teams and stuff like that because 
we want to fix it and make things better. And we're, we're hoping that, you know, all right, okay, but a white person can help fix this too, like learn and help and learn and help. So I totally understand taking that time off. You get, it can get, um, it can get exhausting. Ariane. I think that just reminds me of like, I was going to take a vacation with a, a friend, another librarian, and we both do equity work. And we're like, where can we go? Or we just, don't have to think about this anymore. And honestly, nowhere. You know, it's like when we looked at going into, and we're both Muslims, so it's like look, going into, I was like, oh, but we're gonna have to deal with this and, you know, just not language, but like, you know, sexism and all, all of these things. Not to say that all Muslim countries have this, but it's like, it's, you know, it's like what we're gonna have to deal with when we get there. And then ultimately we decided we were gonna go to the UK, which was like ridiculous, you know, it was like, oh, because there's tourists on there, you know, but, um, but just, you know, like, where can you go? And sometimes you can't, you just can't escape, you can't escape it, you know? Um, you know, even if you're just like, oh, I wanna have like a lighthearted, I'm gonna watch a lighthearted romantic comedy or something else. Like, well, who are the protagonists in this? In this? You know, it's like, it's like, it's just, it's, it's hard. The escape, the escapes are, are hard. So it's like, but, I will. I mean, definitely. It's like if I'm going to escape into a book, it's like, fine, I'll pick something where most of the protagonists are people of color. You know, there might be the issues that I still want to escape, but it's still not my life. Right. Um, I think, you know, having those colleagues of color, like Samantha, I mean, I, as much as, you know, Minnesota has been a great place too. Yes. I don't want to discount that I have had good experiences as well. Yep. But losing all of my colleagues of color in my last institution, like, hurt me. And I did not anticipate how much it would hurt me, how much I needed my communities to sustain me. So, mm. you know, it's like, and so I just, I think, you know, trying to have those tools I mean, recognizing like so in my muslim community i mean there's there's some rampant with racism i don't know if you looked at like some of the, i mean you know george floyd was killed outside of an arab owned store and the and the clerks you know like were you know, one of the clerks but the owner was you know arab palestinian american mm -hmm. there have been mm -hmm. other incidents where it's like a very anti-immigrant anti-black anti-somali anti you know like homophobic incidents where it's like it's you know it's like and then you're like oh what is this mm. so i mean just looking at those spaces that are doing equity regardless it doesn't matter who you are right mm. someone is doing that work and recognizing that just like and i would point out to my community because we are muslim american right that malcolm x said the most disrespected uh woman right or disrespected person in america is the black woman right so it's like go into those group spaces knowing that this is the norm and get power from from them and do your part too i know that's not necessarily a tool i know that also speaks to the fatigue sometimes you know the escapism it's like fine go play go play i played animal crossing or something you know but just i mean it's hard but like so those self-meditations that joy you know, finding joy in art, finding joy in something else, finding joy, but deliberately finding joy in those spaces where you see your people empowered or your community that you want to see uplifted, see them being uplifted, see them being joyful because you cannot have, I mean, one of my colleagues said too, you know, joy without reason is, is dangerous, right? You have to know that you have to ground yourself also in joy. Um, joy without reason. Mm-hmm. Joy without intellect. Again? <laughs> Joy without intellect is foolishness. That's what ah, you said. Okay, okay. But yeah. you know, it's like, but you know that there is so much intellect behind that joy, behind that celebration, behind the art, you know, and that we need that to sustain us as well. Yeah. 
Cindy Chu, Ariana Hussein, thank you both so much for your time. This has been this has been fantastic. This has been great learning experience for me. Great for listeners. Just thank you, thank you for enlightening us. Thanks for who you are and for what you're teaching your your kids, for wanting to speak up and what you're doing, you know, at your places of work and wherever you are and for showing up and continuing to push forward. Just and just thanks for being on the show. I'm, I'm so glad that you are. Well, thank you for having this forum, Samantha. Yeah, thank you, Samantha. That wraps up our show. As always, Daily Border Crossings is hosted by moi, C.S. Fletcher, with music by Miles J. Beats. Reach the show at Daily Border Crossings with an S. That's Daily Border Crossings at gmail.com and at facebook.com slash Daily Border Crossings. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.